Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast about, spoiler alert, how to be happier. This week we'll talk about identifying your 18 for 2018 and also tackle a tricky situation involving in-laws and clutter. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, the four tendencies, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, the sage, Elizabeth Kraft. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. By the way, I'm having some technical difficulties on the lot, so if I don't sound like my usual self, that's why. (laughs) And Gretch, before we get to anything else, I have to say happy birthday. Your birthday is tomorrow. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for remembering. Yes, it's my birthday coming up. Um, And Elizabeth, we're practically going to be seeing each other on my birthday because we're both going to be in Kansas City very shortly. I cannot wait to see you and Adam and Jack there. Go to Winstead's, do all our usual fun things. Yes, the Plaza Lights. It's all going to be good. I can't wait. I cannot wait. And in the spirit of the holiday season and the new year, we have a try this at home tip that is 18 for 2018. It's an idea we got from a listener. Yes. Mary wrote and said, I have taken a lot of inspiration from ideas talked about on the podcast. One idea that I embraced was creating my own happiness project. My version was 35 things to do while I am 35 years old. Prior to my 35th birthday, I made a list of things I wanted to accomplish during that year. Each item had to add to my level of happiness. Some examples, take a CPR certification class, paint my toenails once a month, fold laundry the day it comes out of the dryer, go out to breakfast with my husband on a weekday, travel to a new place, host friends for a dinner party, read a political biography, cook risotto for the first time, make the bed every morning, send weekly updates to family members, etc., I typed out my list of 35 things and hung it in a place that I saw daily. So whenever I felt stuck in a rut or needed a happiness boost, I would pick something to work on. The before and after results are not terribly dramatic, but the process from beginning to end was incredible. I had a constant feeling of accomplishment as I checked things off, plus each item did ultimately add to my happiness. I loved having a format to accomplish 35 little goals, which added together made for a memorable 35th year. I am currently working through my list of 36 things to do while I am 36. So, Gretch, we're adopting this for the new year. Yes. Yes. So it's going to be 18 things for 2018. And the idea is pick 18 things. And I think Mary had a had an interesting approach where she mixed kind of little things and big things, some things that were more like habits and some things that were more like one-time things that you just did and got done with, some things which were sort of learning and expanding your mind and some things that were just like making your household work better, some things about friends. It was a good mix in all different areas of her life, some big, some little Some that you could do if you needed like a quick fix and instant gratification of like, I'm going to cross this off the list. And then some that were going to take a little bit more time. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. And you could really see how the things she mentioned would boost happiness. Yes. All of them. It's novelty and challenge. It's clutter clearing. It's better health. I mean, yes, all these things. Living in an atmosphere of growth. And as she said, just getting things done, just getting things crossed off your list itself gives you a feeling of accomplishment, even apart from whatever it is that you're actually working on. Just the fact that you've like set a goal for yourself and you and you see yourself 
making progress, that itself is a happiness booster because, it, it, again, it's that atmosphere of growth. It's, you're like, I am making my life better. I am taking steps to make myself happier. I'm getting things done, and that feels good. And what I love about this is that traditional New Year's resolutions are like, they're always things that aren't pleasant, right? So it's like losing weight, eating better, quitting smoking, um, going to bed early, right? Those are all traditional New Year's resolutions. Whereas this, you can put fun things that you want to do on the list, like go out to breakfast with your husband. That is not a traditional New Year's resolution. Now, listen, I think this is a great point because sometimes you need to put fun things on the list or else they don't get done. And it's like, what is your what's life worth if you're never doing anything that's fun or pleasant? So I think it's a great idea to put some fun things on the list, things you're eager to tackle, um, things that are really going to give you a boost, not just things that are sort of good for you or will make you happy when they're done, but things that you're actually looking forward to. So absolutely, I think uh, 18 for 2018 should include fun things, um, pleasant things, exciting things. Right. Interesting. I mean, now I'm putting on my habit hat because, you know, better than before, I wrote about all the ways you can make and break your habits, the 21 strategies. Usually when people talk about a New Year's resolution, it's a habit related change they want to make. This is something that they want to do indefinitely. She's got some of these things are like habits that would continue indefinitely. Some are really things that you could cross off your list after having done them once. You know, cook risotto for the first time. You can only do that one time because the next time it's the second time. You know, um, you can't cross off exercise, exercise regularly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's something that's on your calendar for the rest of your life. So it's nice to have some things that just get done as a part of the list. Yes. So, okay, Gretchen, of course, we have to pick our own 18 things for 2018. Oh, and yeah. we're both going to have our list completed by January 1st, but we started our list. Yes. So, Elizabeth, what have you identified so far? Okay, so far I have get the perfect black purse. This has been something I've wanted to do for like five years now, (laughs) and I have failed to do it. I think, I don't know why, maybe just because a black purse seems so basic, like, oh, I can get one anytime, and therefore I never get one. And there are so many times when I would love to have the perfect black purse. So that's on my list. Now, I was going to put on my list, lose 20 pounds, which I do need to do. But then I decided that was too much in the New Year's resolution vein of not Mm. something I can just like, oh, lose 20 pounds, you know. So instead, I'm changing that to try spin class. Okay. Because I've really been wanting to try spin class for like two years because I think I would love it because it's like disco music and someone yelling out affirmations and bizarrely that just really appeals to me. And I know that when I get into doing new exercise, I I do lose weight. You know, that that's something that like motivates me then to eat better. So I, it's like a positive, fun way to get on the path of what I want, as opposed to doing the self-defeating lose 20 pounds. Right. Makes it sound like more fun. Here's a thought. Eliza and Jamie often do spin class when we're in Kansas City. You could go to a spin class with them unless you want to get in the habit of doing it in L.A. and try it in L.A. so you could keep it going. But if you wanted to just go for fun with them over Christmas break, I'm sure they would love to go with you. Oh, maybe I will do that. That's a great idea. Um, And then I want to have a party for the mothers and Jack's grade. So that's something now that our house is it is so close to being done. <laughs> it really is. It's going to be done by the new year. So this spring, I really want to have a party for all the moms. I just think that'd be a fun thing to do. 
I want to plan a family trip to New York because we have it oh. as a family. Yes, for quite great. Some time. Oh, I want you to do that. Excellent. Oh, and Jack I give... is always begging to see Eleanor, of course. Oh, great. Excellent. Oh, that, this is my favorite one so far on the list. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Great. And then the last thing I've come up with, I had said get my A1C into the fives, which if you're diabetic, which I am type one diabetic, your A1C is sort of the number that indicates how you're doing. And I'm in the sixes now, which is okay, but being in the fives would be even better. But again, I decided that that was too big of a thing for this list. So instead, I'm translating that to any day that I'm in my office at the Disney lot, I want to walk at least three miles on the treadmill, on my treadmill desk, which I've kind of just fallen out of walking. Sometimes I'll just do a mile. On a good day, it feels like I'm doing two miles. I want to get back to every single time I'm in the proximity of my treadmill desk, I do at least three miles. And that's something I know I can do if I just say I'm going to do it because I've done it for years in the past. Excellent. So that's where I am. Now I need, um, I think, 13 more things. That, that sounds like a really good list. Yeah. Now I'm excited about it. Okay. Where are you on your list? With Eliza starting in seventh grade, I would have a weekly adventure with her. And mm. every Wednesday, I would meet her at school at 315 and we would go on a weekly adventure and we would take turns picking it. Um, and surprising each other. And usually we went to a museum, so it wasn't like terribly adventurous, but it was it was really fun. And we had like a lot of really good times and did a lot of unusual, interesting things together. And so I want to start doing that with Eleanor. And I haven't been able to start it yet, even though she's deep into seventh grade, because I've been traveling so much with the Four mm, Tendencies book tour yeah. and everything. But as when 2018 starts, I really want to get it on the calendar, and really build the expectation that that's what we're going to do. I need to figure out what day of the week works for Eleanor. It doesn't have to be Wednesday. That just worked for Eliza. But I'm really excited to get that started. But I want to make sure that it seventh grade doesn't end before I pick that up again. That's great. Okay, what else? I have a headset, you know, so I can type and stuff while I'm on the phone. I can be hands-free. And it's running out of battery really fast. And mm. so I've got to, like, figure out what's going on there. Like, is it a battery thing? Is the device dying slowly? I don't even really understand how I ever hooked up the headphone to my phone line in the beginning. So it feels very scary because I don't really understand what's involved. But I think I just need to take a look at it and <laughs> figure it out because it's really annoying me that it won't it won't keep its battery long enough. It's funny you say that because I feel like every time I talk to you, you're like, wait a second, my headset's running out of battery. Right, see? It's super annoying because we'll be talking about what we're going to do, and I'm typing, and if I have to hold it on my, uh, yes, I need to get yeah. that fixed. So you will okay. appreciate that. This is this is something that will benefit you as well. Yeah. I do a Facebook show, Ask Gretchen Rubin Live, every Monday. Usually it's Monday. And I want to set up a studio at home because right now I don't have the right kind of light. Mm. I need to buy a better tripod. So I really want to make a home studio situation for that weekly show, just so that for viewers, it's it's like it's more of a pleasure to to watch. And do you have a place for that? Well, I had been thinking that I was going to do it in this large walk-in closet, but then I talked to this guy who was convinced me that maybe that would seem kind of claustrophobic, mm. even for me and maybe even for viewers. Yeah. And maybe there was a way that I could do it in another room. I was sort of like, part of it is that if you have windows and you have natural light, that messes with your lighting. But he showed me how I could close the blinds in a way that would mean that I could just light it. Okay. So there's a whole process involved, but I have a vision now. Okay, I, and good. I know I need to buy okay. a special kind of light. So I know good. what to buy. So okay. stay tuned. I would like to work with Barnaby so he's better at coming when I call him. Yeah. I know this is my problem, not Barnaby's problem. I do not mm -hmm. I do not blame him. I blame me. 
I need to do consistent work with Barnaby so he'll come. Because sometimes he comes, sometimes he doesn't come. It's just like how he feels. Sometimes it's annoying. You need your dog to come when you call him. And then finally, you know, I love canvas tote bags. I I think I gave a happiness hack to the canvas tote bag. And, Mm -hmm. And I feel like some have zippers, some are open, some are small, some are big, some have inside pockets, some are lighter, some are, you know, some are like disposable. So if I had to give something away, I could pack it in this tote bag and then give the person the tote bag too. So I have like a thousand tote bags and they're all over our main closet. I just need to figure out does one family really need 500 tote bags? And if so, how do you store them? And if not, how do like, I'm sure I could just take them to housing works or something. I'm sure they would love to just have tote bags that they could use as, as shopping bags. I, I just, I need to grapple with my tote bag situation. <laughs> I love them, but they're, they're, they're just too voluminous. Uh, well, I cannot wait to hear the rest of your list. And I, <laughs> I want you to, um, Put something whimsical on it per our last oh, episode where yes. we talked about introducing yes. a note of whimsy. Yes. Okay. Note of whimsy. Now, listen, something just occurred to me. Should we give each other things? Oh. Should we propose things? I don't know. That might be too much of a happiness bully thing to I don't do. know. That's interesting, though. Let's ponder that. Let's ponder that. But, you know, I think, I don't know about you, Elizabeth, but just even thinking about just the five things made it seem much more possible that I could get these done. Like, I'm like, I think I could get a battery for my headset. You know Mm -hmm. what? I bet that is possible. It felt like the sort of insurmountable thing, and I wouldn't even let myself even contemplate it. It felt too awful. But now that it's on the list, I'm like, I think I can do that. Right. So just making the list is helpful. Yeah. And with you with your perfect black purse, I bet now that you said that, you will be out doing your Christmas shopping, and you will walk by a sales table or something, and you will find it. Now that it's in your mind, because it's on your list, you you will be alive to the possibility of a the perfect black person in a much much more likely way. That is definitely a possibility. I could see that happening. That's that's a good thing about Christmas shopping. It it does put you in the store and put you in front of the stuff that you might need. Yeah, because you don't really spend much time in stores. For so for you, no. this is the time when you're doing it is when you're doing holiday shopping. So And I do think it's important to do what Mary suggested, which is print out this list yes. and put it up somewhere. Yes. You've got to have it easily visible because I'll never remember what's on the list if I don't refresh myself. But and also, if you have the list posted, you will get the reinforcement of crossing something off the list. And as the year progresses and you see more and more things crossed off your list, that's going to make you more and more excited to try to cross everything off the list. I think yeah. I'm a gold star junkie. And so crossing things off the to-do list is like, you know, I'm going to get that thing done because I want to cross it off. Yes. So introduce a note of whimsy. Make sure that there are some things that are fun. Print it out. And we will be back with our full list of 18. And we want to hear what everybody else's 18 for 2018 items are. Because I bet once I see what other people pick, I bet I I will start plagiarizing Mm. from people's lists. Yes. So let us know what your 18 for 2018 items are once you've articulated them for yourself. You can Instagram a picture of your list if that's easy and fun to do. It's always fun to see people's lists. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Email us at podcast at com, Or as always, you can go to happiercast.com slash 147. This is episode 147 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, a New Year's happiness hack. But first, a break. Do you wonder what Donald Trump says to the reporters he calls up in the middle of the night? 
phone rings and it's Trump's assistant and she says, Mr. Trump is on the phone for you. Hold on. And that's the thing. It's like he just calls. Maybe you wonder why liberals sometimes seem so intolerant of opinions other than their own. There's an orthodoxy you're supposed to conform to. And if you don't, you become a bad, evil person. Maybe you're the sort of person who wonders if we're ready for the next global pandemic. The most dangerous scenario is where something breaks out somewhere else in the world and then is coming into the U.S. I'm Jeffrey Goldberg. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic. And I want you to join me on my new podcast, The Atlantic Interview, where I ask all these questions and more of Bill Gates, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Maggie Haberman, and many, many others. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. So this this happiness hack is also related to kind of the New Year's resolutions, making yourself happier in 2018 theme, carrying over from our Try This at Home. And this is one, it's an easy, fun hack that boosts happiness, and it's backed by popular demand from last year. Yes. Last January, every day in January, you and I both posted a picture on Instagram of something that made us happier with our hashtag. And so many people joined us in doing this. It created this amazing community on Instagram. Yeah, it was so fun. It made me happy just to look at the Instagram feed. Yes, and it still does. We posted every day in January. Some people have kept this going and are still posting every day of 2017. Right. Well, for many people, what it it turns out that it is a real happiness booster because, like, taking that moment to memorialize something that makes you happier and share it with other people in the world, it's kind of a gratitude practice. It's it, it can be whimsical. Back to the introducing notes of whimsy. This is just something that a lot of people really love to do. And then you can turn it into a book at the end of the year. There's all kinds of possibilities. And people really, really got into it. So this year, we want everybody to use the hashtag happier podcast. Yes. So as we head into January, be thinking about posting every day in January something that makes you happier. It could be your morning cup of coffee. It could be a great book. It could be a beautiful sunset. It could be your child laughing. Yeah, you're 18 for 2018. The first thing crossed off, whatever it is that makes you happier, you can share it on Instagram using the hashtag happier podcast and then tag Elizabeth and me. I'm at Gretchen Rubin and Elizabeth is at Liz Craft. This week, we have a know yourself better question. And this question was proposed by our listener, Rochelle. And this is a very thought-provoking question. She asks, what is harder for you to do? Say the word no or hear the word no and why? Which one is easier for you and why? Hearing the word no or saying the word no. I think this is a really thought-provoking question. So, Elizabeth, what do you think about yourself? I think it's harder for me to say no, but I have to say I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think it may be one of those things where I think it's harder for me to say no, but it could be that people around me think it's harder for me to hear no. Like, I feel like, oh, I take no in stride, but in fact, I don't. But I'm not really sure. What, What do you think? I, I, you know, I, my instinct is that it would be harder for you to say no, but, but you're right. I think this is a question that takes a lot of pondering and it's a difficult question to think about. Um, but you know, I, I wonder if it's part of being an obliger. You, you're an obliger. Mm-hmm. And I, in my observation, it is often harder for obligers to say no. Do you think that being an obliger might play into that? I think it, Definitely could, yes, because you want to meet people's expectations and saying no is automatically not meeting an expectation. 
Right. Um, at the same time, there are plenty of instances when I say no, although I am definitely inclined to try to say yes, especially invitations. I really, it's hard for me to say no to an invitation. Oh, that's interesting. And it can haunt me for days, if not weeks, if not months. If you decide you don't want to do something and then yeah. and then you don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about you? Because you're an upholder. So is it easy for you to say no? I don't think it's hard for me to say no, but I'm not sure that it's hard for me to hear no either. Again, I think you're right. Like I would be, it would be interesting to kind of canvas the people around me and see what they say. Um, but here's one thing about no that really does drive me crazy. If you want to tell me no, tell me no. Just say mm. no. And this is an issue that comes up with Jamie because sometimes I'll ask him to do something and he'll say he'd, he'll do it. But then really deep down, he doesn't think it needs to be done or it, it doesn't need to be done kind of on my timeline. And so he doesn't do it. And I, and I say to him, you're a grown up. You can say no. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. But tell me you're not going to do it. So then I can either do it myself if I think it needs to be done or I can understand that it's not going to happen. But I don't like thinking that something is going to be done when it's not. I prefer to get the solid no if the solid no is, in fact, what's at play. What's coming. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, this is huge in L.A., Gretch. I think I've mentioned this to you before that um, nobody likes to say no in L.A. in a business sense. Mm. Um, So you'll get dragged on forever just waiting for a no. Is this because they don't want to hurt your feelings and like affect a relationship or it's more like they don't want to foreclose an opportunity so they never say no because then they could always change their mind? Probably both now uh-huh. that you mention it. Yeah. And I think it's just who likes unpleasantness and telling someone, no, we're not doing your show ultimately yeah. is very unpleasant. Right. Well, I remember that's one of your sage-like sayings. I, I call you my sister, the sage. And one of the things that you once told me and that I've thought of many, many times is Yes comes right away. No never comes. Mm, and I yes. find that helpful because a lot of times when you're waiting to hear from something, you're, you, I remind myself, if it were yes, I would have heard by now. Yes. This, yes. Is, this is a tacit no. Yeah. So what can people do, Gretch, who have trouble saying no? Because I think this is a big problem for people, people who can't say no. What can they do to say it more easily? Well, I think one thing that can really help is to remember that if you say no to one person, you can say yes to someone else. Um, that often, you know, you have to say no in order to say yes. So let's say you're at work and your team, everybody's asking you to work late. And it's hard to say no to that. But then you could think to yourself, well, but we had this whole meeting, a family meeting about how we were all going to really try to eat dinner together. And so if I say no to you, I can say yes to my family. Because sometimes you just want to say yes to whoever is closest to you or like whatever's mm-hmm. the most kind of immediate situation. But if you kind of open up your mind and remember, well, you know, if I say yes to this assignment, then I'm going to have to say no to that assignment. So I'm going to say no to you because I'm going to say yes to that. And you often hear this advice given in a work situation where like a boss keeps giving you more and more assignments and to say to them very politely, well, if I do this thing for you, then I'm not going to be able to write that annual report that you asked me to write. So I'm just asking you, which is the priority you want me to follow? You make Ah. them decide. You can't just keep piling on the expectations and have me say yes, yes, yes. There has to be a no. So, you know, you can tell me what that no is, but I'm not going to feel like I just I can't say no. Well, now, some people, if they hear no, for people where they have a harder time hearing no, it makes them want to do something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You say don't walk on the grass. They're walking on the grass. Yeah. This is often true for rebels. If they hear like they can't do something, it really makes them want to do it. 
Or if they hear that they have to do something, it makes them not want to do it. It's really hard to tell them no or for them to hear no. Yeah. And so what can you do? Like if you are, if you're someone who has trouble hearing no and it kind of can spin you out, are there any tips for like how to deal with hearing no better? As a rebel? Or as anyone? Because even non-rebels don't like to hear no. Right, right. Well, one thing is if you feel like it's just igniting a spirit of resistance, recapture that feeling of choice. Like this professor is saying that my paper can't be any longer than 20 pages, which makes me want to write a 25 page paper. But actually, I don't want to write a 25 page paper. 20 pages works for me. You know, I'm doing it because I choose to do it, not because somebody told me to, even though that's the thing that they're telling me to do. Well, and Gretchen, for people, you know, who have a hard time hearing no, I think it can be helpful if you hear no, think about why the person is saying no. And if you understand their reasons, it can be easier to accept. Well, and by the same token, if it's hard for you to say the word no, think about, well, why would I want to say no? What is my justification? How does saying no to one person allow me to say yes to another person? So I think it really is a very helpful question. It's, it's sort of a, you and I are both finding it difficult to think about. I think it's something that you might, we might have to ponder for a long time. What is harder for you to do? Say the word no or hear the word no and why? I'm going to start um, paying attention just in my daily routine and see like where I, you know, meet more inner resistance when I'm having to say no or when I'm hearing no. And I'll, I'll let you know. And I will do the same for you. Interesting. Thank you, Rochelle. And now for a listener question. As always, you can leave us a voicemail question at 774-277-9336, which is also 77happy336, or email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Yeah, and Gretchen, this week's listener had a fascinating question related to saying no. Yeah. She included her name, but I'm not going to use it just because it is a little bit of a um, sticky wicket here. (laughs) She said, I have a happiness stumbling block. My husband and I recently bought a beautiful house and consider ourselves minimalists. We just hate clutter and holding on to things we don't need. We do not have children, so we have spare bedrooms that are pretty empty, just how we like it. Though I love my in-laws, of course, they have a habit of leaving things at our home because we have the space. This can range from unused shower caddies from their college-age son, rollerblades they can't fly home, or random gear to store because our closets are empty. I, as an obliger, have a difficult time saying no to their requests. I do not know how to approach my in-laws with this problem. We do have unused space, but that is because my husband and I make a special effort to live with minimal items. I feel as though my in-laws know this about my husband and me, but choose not to respect our wishes. Thus, the amount of unneeded items continues to grow in our home, and their requests to keep things with us become more frequent. So that's a problem. Well, I completely understand this. I mean, because I can imagine from the in-laws perspective, they're thinking, she's got this big empty house. Why can't we just store our stuff there? What is the big deal? And I can imagine people thinking like, well, it's very ungenerous that they're not even going to like let you use their empty closet space to store this stuff. But from my perspective, as somebody who's a simplicity lover and also someone who like guards my empty, I have an empty shelf and I guard it and Mm -hmm. I love having space and having room I understand the desire to just keep it empty and certainly not to fill it up with a lot of dirty, unused shower caddies, Yeah, you know? Yeah, because these aren't even things that have sentimental value. I mean, it's one thing if you're like, can I store the old family photos here? But it sounds like it 
from her perspective, is a lot of junk. Now, from the in-laws' yep. perspective, it's valuable items. But from her perspective, she's opening a closet and just seeing a lot of kind of trash. Yeah, I mean, to one person, it's just, oh, why not keep these things here? There's plenty of room. And another person is like, well, this is just a, junk, a bunch of junk. Why can't we get rid of it? And they don't understand sort of the value that the space itself has. In our apartment, there's this closet that's on a on a landing that we share with the neighbor. And before we moved in, the person who had our apartment had completely filled the closet with her things. And so I was like, oh, well, this closet goes with this apartment, even though it's in this shared space. And I filled it half full. And it was very pleasing to me that it was only half full. But then our next door neighbor put his stuff in it to fill it up. And on the one hand, I'm like, well, why wouldn't he? It's in a shared space. Why wouldn't he put his stuff in there? And I'm like, but I liked having it only half full. But I see how that to some people is like, well, if there's a closet, why can't you just put things in there? It's like the emptiness of it, the beautiful emptiness of it for some people has enormous meaning and other people it's like, let's just fill it up with stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. Even if it's the random gear, it's like, why not have your random gear in there? So what can she do, Gretch? I don't know. What can she do? So here's one thing that I thought about, but I don't think it would work actually, Elizabeth, but let me flood this by you. Do you think she could set aside an area like if it's a corner of the basement or like two closets and say like, this is the area that we've put aside for you, fill it as you like. And then once it's full, then we have no more room for you. Do you think that could, would that be a compromise? It could, although from what she's saying, it sounds like um, her in-laws might not listen. You know, they, mm-hmm. they may not respect that sort of one closet boundary. Yeah. I wonder if she needs to just sort... One thing people do, I've noticed, when they don't want to hold other people's stuff, is they just hand it back to them. Oh, yeah? Like, Adam's parents have done this. Like, we'll show up for dinner and they say, hey, here's your box of yearbooks to take with you. Uh-huh. That's an effective way of getting stuff out of the house. You know, or so, she could ship it to them. It sounds like they may be out of ta- you know, um, out of town. And so she could ship them their stuff like, oh, hey, wanted to make sure you got this back. Right. That could work. And I wonder also like using humor um, just to make a joke out of it to just be like, oh, you know, where are those crazy minimalists that you read about, you know, and we do all these crazy things and, you know, we're nailing that closet door shut because we don't want to have anything in it. And you just accept the fact that they're going to talk to you about like, oh, here's this crazy daughter-in-law we have who like can't even let us put a pair of rollerblades in her closet without freaking out. Mm -hmm. Um, But you just sort of accept it and and, and make fun of yourself to them while being nevertheless very insistent about what it is that you're enforcing. That could work. Yeah. I mean, it's like, are you willing to be uncomfortable? If you're willing to be uncomfortable, then you can just have the conversation and say, you know what? I really want to keep these closets empty. I really want to keep these bedrooms empty. It makes me feel calm inside to have this space. And it makes me feel chaotic when I just have a bunch of stuff around. So it's just not working for me. It's just you have to then know they might be a little peeved But if you keep with that, if you stick to it, ultimately, they will stop putting stuff in your house. So five years from now, they won't even think about putting your stuff, their stuff in your closet and the problem will be solved. So it's like, can you have a short term discomfort for long term gain? 
Well, this is a super important point, and this is something I thought a lot about with habits, because if you sort of keep saying things like, well, I'm going to go to a 10 a.m. yoga class on Saturday, and then people are like, oh, don't do that. That's a pain, whatever. And then you back down, then they never adjust. But if you're like, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm organizing things. People will adapt to you. But if you keep backing away, then they won't adapt. They'll keep pushing and pushing. And so if you're just like, this is not happening, don't bother to bring this by because it's not staying here. They will adjust to it. And you're right. As you permit it, it will become more and more frequent. As you resist it, then they will cease to push on you. Well, here's another thing, though. This is her husband's family. Yes. He needs to have a part in this. I mean, arguably, he should be totally handling it. But it doesn't seem that he is because he didn't write to us. Um, Exactly. So that's a tricky thing, too, which is how do you try to get the child of the parents to be the one to tackle something like this so that it's not coloring your relationship with your in-laws, which is just obviously not as enduring and as close as what the child of those parents is. Yes. And Gretch, if we could answer that question, we would say <laughs> we would keep so many fights from happening in marriages. Yes. Because yes. um, I yes. hear all the time about people who are, you know, yeah. annoyed that their spouse won't deal with their parents. But in this question, she didn't seem to be angry at her husband. So for whatever reason, she seems to accept the fact that she and her husband have this shared philosophy and they're both sort of sharing in the discomfort. But she doesn't seem to be directing any of that feeling at whatever the particular idiosyncratic situation she's in. Um, But it needs to be said, best case scenario, if it's your parents who are being a pain, you're you're the one <laughs> who's yeah. on the hook. And yeah. I would just say this. I would say if it helps her, I give her total permission to refuse to house her in-law stuff. I think part of it is you just feel guilty, and it's like I'm just saying she should not feel guilty. It is not her duty to house these items, in my opinion. No. Because like, like you say, it sounds like things they don't even really care about, you yeah. know? Yeah. So they just they they're having trouble getting rid of stuff. So their yes. way of getting rid of it is to leave it there, which is just passing the buck. So well, in, in Marie Kondo, in the life changing magic of tidying up, she talks about how sometimes you don't want to deal with the trauma of getting rid of something. And so you give it to somebody yeah. here. They're not really giving it to her, but they're asking her because they know she would just get rid of it. But they're asking her to store it, which is sort of related. Anyway, this is a fascinating question. Actually, I would love to hear what listeners advice is. Yeah. Have you been on the on either side of this kind of thing? What do you think that our anonymous, uh, you know, she's in witness protection program yeah. there. Yeah. What, what, what do you have to say? Coming up, Gretchen has an egg salad related to merit. But first, a break. Okay, Gretch, it's time for demerits and gold stars. What is your egg salad related happiness demerit? Well, Elizabeth, I never wanted to be said that on this podcast, we do not pay close attention to even the most mundane details of life because we definitely do. And I have my hard-boiled egg maker, which I will put the link on the website if you want to get. I love my hard-boiled egg maker. I make hard-boiled eggs constantly. And I make myself egg salad for lunch often. And I worry that I'm wearing out egg salad. You know how if you Mm. eat a food too much? I like eating the same foods over and over and over for years. But sometimes I do wear out a food because I eat it so much that then I never want to eat it again. And I'm 
I'm worried that I'm wearing out an egg salad. Mm. And I brought egg salad to the Panoply Studios today to eat for lunch. I worry that I'm going to wear it out. I need to hold back. Can you cut it down to like three times a week or twice a week? I, I think I'm going to have to dole it out like a dessert, you know? I think mm-hmm. I'm going to have to just say I can't have egg salad every day. It's hard because there was a while there where you were just eating hamburger patties. Oh, left uh, and right. Like a mad woman. Yep. Did you wear those out? Kind of. I mean, I still do eat hamburgers, but not like I used to. And I, I don't want that to happen again. So <laughs> to the delicious egg salad. Okay. Well, um, you said it here. So <laughs> yes. cut back on that egg salad. <laughs> yes. 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 The important things that we do to boost our happiness. Um, so let's take us up with a gold star. Well, my gold star goes to Adam and it's for designing our fire pit area. So as we all know from my constant mention of it, we've been <laughs> redoing our house forever. And a big part of that is the backyard. And we have always planned on having a fire pit. And when it was initially built, it was just this eyesore. It was a sort of ugly cement fire pit. And next to it was this ugly cement bench. And I don't know how that design happened, but that's what happened. And that's what got built. And Adam was just like, I don't love the fire pit. And I'm like, well, I don't either. But to me, you know, hey, it's built, it's done, it's happening. But he started researching and he found this picture of this gorgeous big bench around this gorgeous big fire pit. And he's like, wouldn't this look good? And I was like, yes, but I mean, how do we make that happen? It seemed like this impossibility And he took it upon himself to have what was there removed and to then find a carpenter to build this bench um, like he had seen and have the cushions made and make sure the fire pit was the right dimensions and found what to put in the fire pit. And basically, he built this most beautiful fire pit area you can imagine. Well, you've seen it, Gretchen. It is gorgeous. I have to say, it really is I was I was I was stunned. It, I mean it yeah. really is beautiful. Be- yeah, beautiful in the space. Yeah. And it's really the centerpiece now of the backyard and a great gathering place and we have chairs and this bench and it's just wonderful and it's all because Adam had a vision and he made the vision happen and I love it and so I give him a big gold star because that was 100% him and if it were me we would just have an ugly concrete bench in front of an ugly fire pit that we would never have used. So gold star to Adam. And I will all Instagram a picture of our fire pit. Yes. Yes. It's so hashtag uh, happier podcast. Yes. Yes. And that is it for this episode of happier. Let us know if you tried this at home, make your list of 18 for 2018. Once you make your list, let us know what you plan. Yeah, and if you want, Instagram a picture of your list, hashtag happier podcast. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, as always, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. The resources for this week, speaking of New Year's resolutions, many people like to read The Happiness Project, my book, The Happiness Project, for the new year. That book starts on January 1st, and a lot of people use it to kind of give themselves ideas and encouragement as they head into trying to make their year happier. So in the show notes, I'll put links to the book and to a lot of resources that I've made available, like 
a template to do your own happiness project and a discussion guide if you're going to talk about it in a book group and a lot of things like that. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Onward and Upward.